0: Welcome to One of 200, the independent politics and media podcast. I'm joined by a a range of of co-hosts today. Uh, We've got Branko Macetic joining us, uh, standard co-host for the podcast. Hello. Uh, We've got Paul Callant, our economics expert. Uh, You may have seen him on the the podcast previously uh, or in some of the articles. Hey guys, how are you going? And we're also joined by Mark Rickerby, uh, friend of the cast, uh, and has written a range of uh, different articles for us as well. Welcome on to the podcast, Mark.
1: Jordan, uh happy to be here.
0: So, yeah, we've got a whole bunch of stuff to talk about. Um, lots of things have been happening this week. Uh, so we're, we're going to try and uh, keep it relatively concise. We're not going to go all over the place. We're going to try and stop ourselves from doing that. Uh, but first on the agenda, uh, I wanted to pass over to Bronco, Um this is this is probably the the most lighthearted of, of the topics uh, today um, it's a bit it's been a bit wild with a, a range of people um, including some high-profile uh, ex politicians or politicians being trespassed from Parliament grounds uh, on on the basis of their attendance at the parliamentary protests uh, earlier in the year
2: yeah I mean you know it's one of these issues that is uh, it's both Profoundly silly, um, and and yet also kind of important because I do think that uh, I don't think we should take these things lightly when um, government power kind of gets used uh, to, you know, punish people basically for completely uh, for, for for speech or protest. Um, I know people have different different views about uh, the the you know, Washington occupation, but. Then we can agree that Winston Peters just going down and talking to them is not a uh, any sort of violent or inflammatory act, if anything, you could argue it was the opposite. Um, and so, you know, ridiculously, I find myself here defending Winston Peters, which I don't particularly want to do. Um, you don't but, have to
0: defend him. You can defend the, the set of rights uh, and, yeah. and norms, right? Like we can it doesn't have to be Winston Peters. He's just a, he's a standard.
2: Yeah. Well, what's funny about it is that, I mean, and people have made this point is that it's a complete gift to exactly what uh, the kind of protesters used as their, their rallying cry, which is kind of, you know, the idea that the mandates were an authoritarian attack on, on basic rights. Um, and, uh, you know, Malar already once before inflamed the situation uh, with a, a stupid and reckless uh, uh, measure by, Turning on the sprinklers against them, um, which only and, and of course they of course the, the police tried to to very early on uh, push them out, which only inflamed things, only made them kind of more stuck in their position, made them more kind of militant, which often happens. Um, and this is the same thing. I mean, if you wanted to confirm the protesters' worldview that uh, the New Zealand government is being run by some sort of dictatorial, you know, quasi communist regime or whatever, you know, whatever things that they're saying. Uh, Well, you've helped them out now because you've now banned a a former MP um, simply for the crime of of being in that space. And there were lots of people in that space. I mean, there were journalists in that space. There were other politicians that went down. I mean, it's, you know, it's I think self-evidently ludicrous. And I think the fact that it's so ludicrous is clear. uh, And the fact that that basically, uh, from what it seems like, a wide spectrum of people condemned this as just stupid and self-defeating and pointless. And Mallard ended up um, withdrawing it. Right. So. What do you say to people who, um, and I'm not saying
0: I, I hold these views clearly uh, that, that point to some of the more uh, violent or um, inflammatory elements of the protest, Uh, you know, like the the people hanging nooses and and saying they're actually going to, Go and carry out um the, the death threats. And the idea that, oh, if you associate with those people, um, you know, you you're basically those people. I mean, people uh, and therefore who make, the 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 ban is is warranted.
2: People who make death threats and engage in any sort of violence, uh, there's laws against that. I mean, you're not you know allowed to do that anyway. So you can easily prosecute those people. The idea that everyone in the vicinity of someone who does something objectionable or violent or otherwise bad um, is, is then falls into that group as well as equivalent to them um, is a pretty authoritarian sort of mindset. It's the kind of thing that um, to take one example, you know, in the, in the United States, um, back when Donald Trump was inaugurated, there were massive protests on the, on the day of his inauguration. And um, at one point there were, Uh, a bunch of people, maybe, you know, I think some of them were anarchists, some of them were just sort of people engaging in, in, you know, opportunistic violence who decided to smash some store windows and and hit cars and throw things. Um, And what they did was instead of uh, just going after those people and saying, well, you know, you broke the law, therefore we're going to prosecute you, they said every single person who was in that general area in, involved in the protest, whether they were they were protesters, whether they were bystanders, whether they were journalists um, who were filming this and documenting it, all of those people, uh, are, 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 we're going to throw the book at them and prosecute them. And of course, everyone quite correctly said, no, that's an incredibly um, uh, dangerous and 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 repressive way to deal with this, uh, and it's clearly unfair and it's targeting people who had nothing to do with any of the violence. And you know, I think we should be consistent in this and take the same mindset here. It does not make sense to say, well, if you were just nearby someone who threw, you know, who who did a, a noose or, you know, uh made some sort of threat, that therefore you are equivalent to them. Um that's an incredibly dangerous thing. A lot of left-wing protests that we support. There's all manner of inflammatory sounding. Oh, soybeans. never, her Never. <laughs> you know, I mean w- w- uh, eat the rich you know talk about revolution now to us that it sounds silly that you would think that that's an inflammatory or dangerous kind of slogan we would say you know that's obviously that's just hyperbole that's just kind of colorful language but you know I mean the other the guys in the in the, the anti-mandate protests would say the same thing about theirs and at the end of the day um, you know there's no real way to distinguish between you know what is just hyperbole and and, and what is kind of real aside from you know when it really escalates beyond just speech and, and goes into something further so uh yeah not not really a good i think precedent to set um and not really uh unless we we have no compunction we're just kind of looking like hypocrites next time a, a a left-wing protest that we support ends up you know occupying parliament or um you know perhaps to to Get some action on climate change, or, or to, to you know, get some action on poverty. Um, I don't think really we should be making these kinds of uh, claims publicly and championing this. So I'm looking forward to the the hate that I will get for this uh, <laughs> this take. I'm sure that's uh, that's forthcoming. But I really think people should um, should should take that seriously. There's you know, there's the, the, unnecessary to to do this, especially for Peters. You know. Yeah, I was going to say, what do you think about um, and
0: and just opening the floor here as well. Um... About how much that is a, a political boon to him 18 months out from uh, an
3: election. I was, I was actually just about jumping about Winston. Because, um, like, I noticed in that um, recent News Hub poll that, and, and I, was, I was kind of, there was a poll previous to that, I think it was Roy Morgan one, where he seemed to, or, or New Zealand First seemed to take a couple of points off Act. And I wondered if, like, him just being a bit more rowdy about, you know, our quote unquote authoritarian government sort of coming for him in all these various different ways, um, whether that had kind of boosted him in some way. Um, but the the recent News Hub poll, he was kind of back down on, I don't know, one and a half, two percent or something like that. So um, I guess that was a bit of a bit of good news for me that his <laughs> kind of, um, yeah, his, his antagonizing about these things hasn't really got him far. So, well, yes, anyway, I mean, he's, he's kind of the master at, when it comes to election time. Um, causing a kind of media stir about himself and, and getting himself into all these headlines. Um, yeah. So we'll wait and see, I guess. But I don't know. What's your guys' take on it?
1: I think the problem for Winston there is that he was in the cabinet when some of these decisions were made, um, the stuff that happened in 2020 pre-election. So he's, it's just the hypocrisy is so close to the surface there. it's He doesn't have that much room to kind of move on it. Um, yeah, but I mean, there's this kind of this sort of rule of New Zealand politics that you can never rule Winston out or whatever. But um, I did feel after that last election that was it, um, and I think um, it's very chaotic at the moment. And we did see with that stuff with Jamie Lee Ross and all that that there is connected to those protests. There is kind of this below the surface sort of political movement. The question of how connected that is to former New Zealand First supporters, I think, is uh, it's just, it's not very many people. So it's kind of hard to say. I think what you said before, Paul, about um, people flipping between national and ACT and New Zealand First is probably a better explanation for, for the possibility for Winston. But yeah, I don't know. I definitely wouldn't want to make any predictions there.
2: Well, I also remember, you know, it's, it's a bigger issue than, than, than Peter's. You know, I think we also don't want to uh, feed the kind of, any sort of conspiratorial anti-government mindset that that existed in those uh, protests, and and you know that that beyond the protests, that that I think um, exists uh, in, in pockets of New Zealand. You know, I don't think we want to feed into that, especially because what is the what is the the benefit of this? I don't really understand what it is. the, the protesters were already not allowed to be there anyway, um, so it's not as if launching some sort of uh, you know mass trespassing uh, notice yeah. is going to prevent protests from happening again. So it, it's really, it's all lost with very little benefit to me.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think it, it's another example of something that I really haven't understood actually about the response to the protest is it, it feels very ad hoc. Like I, I couldn't see how that that um, that action the other day really related to actually any, doing anything about what happened. And you know, I remember at the time people were, saying, oh, there's going to be a royal commission, you know, um, that didn't seem unreasonable in the first weeks of March, right? But we've really had nothing. Um, mm. So I think there's kind of this vacuum of like what is going to be done about it. And things like this just seem, they just seem like random sort of ad hoc things that just happen that are sort of these reflexive responses. It just doesn't make any sense to
0: me. Well, nothing had been talked about. Like it, it just, it kind of just entered the news. Like, oh, we just traced some dudes. Uh, yeah, two of them were XMPs. mps um, Oh, wait, now everyone's saying we shouldn't have done that. Okay, now we, we'll undo it. Cool. See you later.
2: <laughs> I, I do agree, Mark, that you, you made a good point that it's ad hoc. Because uh, I think with all of this stuff, whenever it comes to um, like the, the discussion about political extremism, all of and this is not unique to New Zealand, all of our uh, focus is on reactive stuff. It's always, you know, um, and it's always, it's been this way since, you know, the, 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 the war on terror as well. It's like something happens and then, okay, we're going to beef up security powers or spying powers or do this and do that, you know, sort of um, erode civil liberties a little bit, whatever, uh, as a way to prevent it. And there's never any discussion or never any focus on being proactive and actually going to the root causes, which is what we've talked about in this podcast a billion times, that, you know, you're not going to just eliminate extremism by jailing or, like, you know, sicking the security state on people anywhere more than a bunch of prisons eliminates crime. You have to attack the root causes of why people are uh, being driven to uh, extremist. Humankind. Yeah, like just... <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, that's you got to, like, understand Why is it that people are drawn to these things and, and, and attack those? And then you stop them from being, being seduced by them in the first place. That's the way to, to deal with these things. But there's no, there's no talk about that, unfortunately. And that brings us
0: to uh, our next topic. In, the, in a lot of ways, um, just in the last week, uh, we've had some new data information come up about uh, sea level rise. Uh, Mark, you were talking before the uh, before we started recording about the way the, the surprise you'd felt at the way that was initially covered in the media. Do you want to kind of give us a quick rundown?
1: Yeah, you know, I just think it was it was another one of those things that kind of landed maybe unexpectedly. And it was, um, so to give everyone listening context, um, in case you might've sort of heard some buzz, but um, maybe not the specifics. Um, So for many years, there's been this understanding amongst planning and local councils um, and various professions related to um, kind of land management, I guess, as a broad topic um, of coastal areas and this risk of sea level rise. And it's always been this kind of long-term projection And dates like 2060 get thrown around. um, And this is um, people have been thinking in terms of this incremental slow sea level rise sort of going out to like um, the next hundred years. Um, There's recently been some new scientific research being done, which for the first time really has actually looked at the rate of sea level rise and then compared that to land subsidence. So that's saying, like, if the land is sinking and the sea level is rising, then obviously the numbers are going to be different. And maybe this is going to happen faster. And it turns out it's actually going to be a lot faster. Um, And so that has thrown a lot of the discussion around long term mitigation of of sea level rise into kind of stark relief. Um, And obviously being a being a country with a lot of people living very close to the coasts, um, this is a huge issue. Um, and so it kind of this came out, I think it was on like Sunday night or Monday morning, and we had consistently like three days of good, solid reporting and headlines on that. Um, and I guess what what you said before, Kyle, what surprised me was just how the topic kind of stuck around, um, and it it didn't get sort of politicized. It didn't get um, turned into some sort of this versus that. Um, it was just kind of informative, but also I think it wasn't framed as like there is there's like a silver bullet answer or there's like um, there's one true way to kind of look at this was just like oh shit like we really need to care about this and I was thinking this is interesting because is this going to develop further are we going to see more in-depth discussion are we going to hear from the insurance industry are we going to hear from local councils are we really going to see this turn into like an ongoing kind of theme um and then yeah, like Wednesday happened and it sort of things went back to normal, I guess.
0: Yeah, is that and you know we're we're running into local elections at the moment as well, you'd think, at least in some places, um, not not least Auckland, uh, that would be an important issue to, to be talking about. But as you say, we had we had a number of pretty good pieces of reporting on it. Um, and then I haven't seen, yeah, I haven't seen anything since midweek.
2: It's it's one of these questions about what is it about the issue of climate, which is easily the most important and urgent and, and alarming thing happening in the entire world. Uh, why is it that it is consistently ignored or put to the side, or you know, just kind of um, uh, masked by kind of soft denial? Um, and and you know, I think there's several different possible explanations. I don't know which ones they are or whether it's a combination of all of them. You know, perhaps it's something to do with the human uh, refusal to kind of face up to uh, really terrible things. Perhaps it's something to do with the fact that politicians, it's a lot easier for them to uh, ignore the issue and kind of, you know, stay on their kind of particular hobby horses and talking points. The thing is,
0: Bronco, that you're talking about something that's happening in
2: 100 or 200 years, but right
0: now there's a cost of living crisis and why aren't you doing anything about it? (laughs)
2: well i mean the cost of living crisis is a serious thing and uh and but the thing is you can you can deal with both uh and you have to deal with both yeah and And i I, I would i would argue dealing with one is also dealing with the other um you know i think it's only through giving adequate government support creating a kind of uh, uh, uh uh a compassionate society where we have a comprehensive safety net that that basically catches people you know when they're in the midst of disaster and or manner of other things that you're going to be able to sell people on um climate measures because at the end of the day i mean that's all the worse that these things get that, that the sea level rises get that, that these disasters all this flooding that we see um in new zealand and, and across the world is the worse that gets the more people are going to be affected the more they're going to actually rely on the government to to actually help them out um, you know there won't be a lot of individualists rugged individualists in uh you know 10 20 years time well there's this thing as well i just like this- Inability,
0: or and less charitably, just and just complete unwillingness to see any policy framework as being anything other than a single issue. Um, and one of the other big, uh, I guess, climate-related stories or, or uh, narratives this week was around funding for cycleways and um, and public transport uh, infrastructure and. The entirety of the media just like lost their shit about it. And, like al- almost without fail, you know, we had people on, um, on the breakfast channels, live on television, just sniggering and laughing and like yelling about this $2 billion um, that's being sent over a decade. It's just this, this tiny proportion of the overall transport budget. Uh, and you see this happen every time there's any spending proposed for something that might have a climate impact Um, with with no no thread drawn between the the two things. Um, Just talked about and attacked in total isolation Um, and completely disingenuously with the same bad faith comparisons and attacks every single time. Um, But it seems like the entirety of our, our media class, at least those that are, front facing to the public uh, are being enabled or editorially uh directed to to run this shit
1: yeah i got a yeah. real sense of whiplash this week just from from the contrast of those stories earlier in the week looking at that 30-year horizon to this cycle cycling thing um it was just yeah, it was just
3: like <laughs> i think it really says something about like like you're saying kyle about how the media operate um and, and, you know, they love to like stir up something, some kind of feud around like cyclists versus motorists or whatever it is to kind of grab headlines and not actually connecting, like you say, a relatively small amount of money for a really kind of pertinent issue. Um, but then, you know, that they they try to shrink the issue down to, you know, greedy cyclists want their cycleways or whatever um, and not actually with a wider scope of, you know, what, okay, why, why do we need to, uh, you know, shift um, to different modes of transport, and what's that going to do? And how's that going to interact with all these? And why is every them? other
0: like major OECD company country like pushing out that policy as fast as possible um, across the world? Like, I think France is just doing it, like just like cutting down roads, like and just like making miles and miles of um, of cycleways because they know that they're going to have to make a mode change.
2: I've never uh, experienced, I, I, maybe this exists in other countries. I've not seen it. Where uh, cycling has been turned into a weird culture war issue. There's a little bit of that in the States, a little bit, but for the most part, I mean, you know, it's not, no one, the rage against cyclists, that the temerity that someone can get on a bike and use that to transport themselves instead of a car. It, it, it has no comparison anywhere that I've seen as it does in New Zealand. Uh, and I don't know, maybe, maybe the ride has been very successful, uh, particularly, you know, the Talkback Radio, which of course uh, relies for its existence on people to continue driving cars. Uh, so it has a bit of a built-in incentive there to, to make people pissed off about this. But this idea that, that kind of like uh, uh, drivers and cyclists are two different classes, two different almost species. Who that that cannot coexist? That simply, you know, are uh, uh, inevitably going to butt up against each other. It, it's really bizarre, and and yeah, it may well speak to just the success of the the right in New Zealand at kind of turning it AA, into this weird I wedge think. issue. What's that? Sorry,
0: the AA. We've got a, we've got an incredibly powerful um, like automobile lobby here, uh, and like I think one of the really indicative things of of that kind of rage that you're talking about, Bronco. Nowhere else in the world do i see and, and i use the term regularity here relative uh to you know everything else but the regularity of what you like could could probably just call attempted murder of cyclists mm-hmm. by motorists like the number, the number of times i've seen like helmet footage of of cars actually trying to drive onto the cycleway to give the cyclist a fright or, or whatever they try and like post justify it with is obscene like just mm. the most insane stuff we're trying to door um cyclists and, and shit like that you know like um, this is the, like the culture that exists
2: here and i'm, you know, I'm sure we no one has been we, prosecuted we, for this shit no no i'm sure we all know someone who's who's died of um you know uh, uh, when they were cycling uh or, or had an accident i mean i mean that's that's true everywhere but um you know i i can think of at least one person who's, who's died that i knew and uh, Certainly other people that, that I've known who have had serious accidents. And I mean, what's crazy about it all is that I don't understand who enjoys driving in Auckland. Yeah, I spent like over well over a decade driving in Auckland and I hated it. it it's awful. It's you're just sitting there in a car breathing fumes, losing your mind because you have abs- you've lost all agency. You're you're stuck on a basically a conveyor belt. Um, getting angrier and angrier and more frustrated. I, I do not understand who these people are who are like, yes, I, I love that. Get me, get me into that. Get, just have me in a little box uh, moving slowly across the motorway for, for the rest of my life.
3: Just, just to maybe segue this to the next um, topic, I was also um, kind of interested to see that uh, there was the Infrastructure Commission report that came out kind of earlier in the week and then immediately following that there was Grant Robertson's budget speech and like the infrastructure commission report was like, we need to spend a fuck ton more money on infrastructure because it's all crap. Uh, and then the immediate response um, from Grant Robertson in the budget, well, I mean, obviously this has kind of been planned for some time, but uh, it was essentially a capital expenditure freeze, um, debt limits, like very conservative. We're not actually gonna really invest in the things that we need to. Um, yeah, so. People are probably going to be sitting in cars, and you know, for a long time to come. <laughs> if oh, I, I, one
0: of the things that often doesn't seem to get frozen is new roads. <laughs> well, yeah, you know that that it tends to be where we keep spending money, despite any like you know fucking debt ceiling or like uh, claims by the government that we're not going to be spending as much. Roads will roads will get built, um, and they'll take a, an enormous amount of money at uh, incredibly low. Cost benefit ratios
2: to to have that done. What was that clip? Was it Luxon who was touring a new road? <laughs> absolutely, yeah. yeah, just bizarre. I mean, who 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 enjoys going on a new road? I guess maybe maybe there's some people out there who have a passion for, for this, but it, it, yeah, I, I find that absolutely strange. Yeah, that
0: does um that does segue us, uh, Paul. Um, we we're talking earlier in the week. Um. Mark and Paul, the two of you especially, uh, about some of the discussions around uh, not only uh, Grant Robertson's uh, budget uh, signalling, but also the, the, you know, it pops up every few months, um, this discussion about a wealth tax. Uh, Paul, do you want to give us a, a quick intro on, on what's been happening?
3: Yeah, sure. I think it's kind of useful to look at, you um a bit of a series of events as to how this has cropped up again, because um, it, it kind of grounds the, the context for the uh, what I think can only really be described as kind of a media punditry circus that's kind of erupted around it again and then fizzled out later on in the week um, for reasons that'll become obvious. But basically, um, <clears throat> uh, the revenue minister, David Parker, gave a speech around, uh, you know, tax and um, the wealthy and whether they, you know, are, are paying their fair share in tax even under the current kind of setup. Um, and he gave the speech uh, about 10 days ago. And then, um, you know, right at the start of the speech, he, you know, the very first paragraph, he kind of said, uh, you know, people who are coming here expecting us to be announcing new taxes are going to be disappointed, we, we have no plans to do tech, ta- like he was really foregrounding the fact that I'm making the speech about the tax system and the fairness of the tax system, but. Don't worry, Labour are not going to implement new taxes. That's not what we're about, et cetera. Um, And then, so of course, after this, you know, questions start to come up to the Prime Minister and other ministers around whether, you know, the government are going to implement any new taxes. Um, And there was, I think the thing that kind of set it all off was Monday morning, the Prime Minister was on the AM show and Ryan Bridge uh, was asking her about this. And I, I watched that interview and I actually thought that. You know, she Jacinda Ardern didn't really create any new information in terms of her position on tax, um, but it sort of got spun that way. Uh, and and if you actually watch the interview and what she said, rather than kind of read transcripts or whatever, and how she was responding to the questions, I think it was quite obvious that she was saying, no, you know, none of our positions have changed. Uh, I've ruled out a capital gains tax for as long as I've, I've been prime minister, and and then where where the kind of speculation came up was whether she she also ruled out a wealth tax in 2020, right, when the Greens had proposed it as part of their election campaign, and she was asked about it. Um, And and there was some speculation in the media as to whether she'd reversed that position, basically, and said, oh, we're not going to do it this term, but we might do it next term, because David Parker's doing this investigation into the wealthy and their taxes and so on. And so from there, it escalated to the point where... um, in uh, Question Time in Parliament, uh, I think it was on Tuesday or Wednesday. Of course, she got asked by all of the uh, National and ACT MPs whether she would rule out a wealth tax, and of course, she did, uh, because it was never her intention. It was never—it's never been Labour's intention. And this is this is the thing that I find so bizarre: is that there's all these headlines as to, oh, you know, is a wealth tax on the way, or a wealth tax is definitely on the way, um, and but you know, all you need to do is look at Labor's record for like the last 10 years. Uh, and they're, you know, their complete like reluctance to do kind of anything in this area to, you know, even slightly more like fairly redistribute income, only like a slight increase in income taxes for like the most riches. Um, and yeah, that's that's all the kind of grounding that you really need to see what's logically going to happen here. But instead, you know, our media sort of drum up all this, you um, all this furore about what's what's coming down the road so yeah i don't know whether you guys got the same impression but
0: what was interesting to me was that this is maybe the first time i've seen this um or at least it's rare enough that i can't think of another time uh but henry cook wrote uh senior political reporter for for stuff uh wrote an op-ed uh which essentially took aim at the rest of the media uh saying this is fucking stupid (laughs) like we can't we can't be doing reporting in this way where we're just like constantly yelling at people to rule stuff out. It doesn't make any sense. We're like so far out from 2023 election. We can't like, it's okay to ask stuff like closer to the date when people want clarity around what they're voting for, but to try and get people to rule out things for the entirety of their lives, which is what it's escalated to essentially, uh, is is just ridiculous and doesn't help anyone. So yeah, I, I think... You know, we, we, we do get this conversation a lot, but it, it was definitely, it escalated so quickly this time uh, in a way that I hadn't seen before.
3: Yeah, I, I think the kind of whole thing with this rule out wars and, the, and you know, it's, it's a function of how we do politics in this country and how Labour do politics, because they don't really have, you know, they don't, they don't, they don't have an apparent position on, on things, right? And so it's not clear as to what they actually do stand for. Um, it's basically bland managerialism so they kind of need to basically be responding to you know oh, the Greens have proposed this wealth tax so, well do you support it well no I don't support it well will you ever implement it well you know I can't say and then so they get forced into this position where they have to make these grand judgments you know for as long as I'm Prime Minister I'll never do this you know it's ridiculous yeah I definitely I mean- don't want
0: to give any like um, a way out for Labour here they're, they're clearly part of the problem with this as well because for the most part they yeah they, they're not offering anything so what can they even be asked about and they don't I mean...
1: explain themselves either you know i think grant robertson's um little aside to that business group um a little while after that took place where he kind of he sort of previewed the budget um and then that that created its own little sort of furore um but he he said all the stuff um about basically about um so CAPEX versus OPEX to sort of take a broad um, kind of explanation of it. But he didn't talk, he didn't actually talk to people about what this is all about, like what is the purpose? What are they trying to achieve? What is the big picture here? Um, so it's just, it's just this assumption that either people understand it, they understand all the technocratic jargon and it sort of makes sense or they agree or disagree or it's just like it does, it's not relevant because this stuff is depoliticized and it's not important for this to be a political debate and you know how do you, the media sort of politicize this and the uh, media just doing what the media do but they don't seem to actually respond to that in a way of you know like let's um mm. the supposedly great communicators um mm. don't seem to be communicating
2: labor approaches this stuff as I there's so many issues from a uh perspective and standpoint of of, of loss that in defeat they assume from the beginning that that they are going to lose and that they're in the wrong and that there's there's no way they can actually change people's minds so don't even bother yeah yeah, you're right and it's funny you know the the whole thing around the 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 rule out wars that you were mentioning um the 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 whole practice of uh well this person said this thing and now they're doing this thing so it's a it's a flip-flop or u-turn it is the, the the most lowest common denominator of, of reporting, and I say that as someone who is a member of the media, uh, and pretty and the, pretty uh, pretty much a, a low common denominator yourself. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, and it is the the laziest kind of thing because it it, it uh, it's like horse race journalism. It ignores the actual the fundamental issues, the actual important things about politics um, and, and and about what's happening in the world, and it relegates it to sort of just these um, kind of procedural and and sort of uh, uh, sports like uh, battles. When in reality, you know, if you were to, to do good reporting about this kind of thing, it wouldn't be well. She she, you know, just now said she wasn't going to do a wealth tax. Now maybe she will. Uh, wow, isn't that isn't that um, uh, uh, dishonest? Or isn't that kind of like embarrassing? You would say, well, what what is the importance of a wealth tax? What is the, the what would be the impact of it? Why is it necessary? Uh, these are the actual important questions um, uh, uh, about a policy like that. And frankly, I mean, if Jacinda Ardern does a U-turn on the tax who cares? I mean, that's good. That, that's, that's if, if a politician takes a uh, bad, harmful, uh, wrong position and, and, and sticks to it, insists on it, and then they say later on, I've changed my mind. I'm gonna do, I'm actually gonna do this thing because I've realized uh, it's worth doing. Uh, and, and it's the right thing to do. That's a good thing. Uh, we don't. Why would we want to discourage? No, um, need to resign but, if they do that. Right. <laughs> the, the idea is that someone should be just. Uh, if you take a position once, you 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 hold it for the rest of your life. That's ridiculous. Um, of course, consistency is important. Of course, but does that mean that if if you take the wrong position, um, you never change your mind ever? out of some weird uh need to kind of placate the 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 you know the the press gallery because they're gonna be like, aha, hold on, you didn't say that. No, I, I think yeah. that's ridiculous. And I think yeah. I have I really have to question, does it, any of this filter down to actual normal people? Um, you know, who aren't aren't in politics or who aren't in the press? I, think, I don't know if it does. I think
0: it does. I think, you you think it does maybe not in the way that um, like is a wealth tax bad or good, but definitely in terms of this uh this structure that's been built up around electability and so if you've got a media who's, who's running these gotchas and that's just all they do um and they're like not electable not electable not electable they're lying to you they're lying to you you're going to get two effects one more people choose not to vote which we know tends to favor uh right-wing or conservative parties uh, and two you get more people who are likely to vote the other way because it's time to throw those that, that party out because they've become too arrogant um, and it's time for a change, which we know is like a, a mainstay of uh, kind of political narrative in New Zealand. So there is, I think there is a real effect, but I don't think it's necessarily hinged on whatever the particular subject matter or policy is.
2: I think, I think it can be damaging in, in this condition where if a politician is constantly changing their mind, um, of course, it makes them look weak and indecisive, and, and frankly, that it sounds like they probably are. Um, and if they're constantly kind of switching positions, then it also makes them look opportunistic. It makes them look dishonest. So I think it can have a damaging effect there. However, I think, you know, in, in the case of Ardern, in this specific instance, where uh, would people really be angry? Really? If she turned around and said all the stuff that I said I was going to rule out over the years, uh, uh, when I was politically vulnerable and, and worried that it would cost me elections, of course she wouldn't say that part out loud. But of course that's a subtext. And if she did, that would be great. All the stuff, all the stuff that I ruled out. Actually, I'm going to do it. Um, and you know, the, this, these are popular things, whether it's a wealth tax or you know, uh, 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 free dental care or you know that kind of thing. Uh, once people start to feel the benefits of these programs, uh, do, is anyone out there really going to be thinking, well, you know, I'm glad that I don't have to, to shell out thousands of dollars to, to fix my, my horrible teeth uh, that, that, that I wasn't able to get cared for before. But um, you know, I am a little upset that I don't kind of uh, flip flop on this. No, of course not. Um, I, and- so, you know, I think, I think, you're you're right. I think it can have an impact, um, but I don't think you know Aden's not been yeah. in some sort of serial flip flop. But if anything, the flip flopping she has done is on the fact that she ran on a transformative uh, platform um, and and a platform of kindness several times, and then she's uh, completely betrayed that. So you know, I, I think actually there's an argument that it would probably strengthen her. Um, oh, I agree with you on that. Yeah, mm. yeah. I,
3: I think yeah, I think both of you are uh, right, in... and um. You know, and what you say, um, and and I think one thing to follow on from what you're saying, Bronco, with the capital gains tax, there was like another poll that just came out in February, uh, and it's now even more popular than ever. It was like 55% of people support it, and 32% of um, something of people disagree with it, and there's another kind of 10% or so undecided. So, um, and and kind of another example of this, I want to just compare like Labor's politics to how National operate in this kind of space, and and this is where I think Labor fall into the trap of like. You know feeding into this game uh but more than um, what national do is that jockey was elected in 2008 right on the on a promise that he would not raise taxes and then what do they do several so years later they immediately raise gsc uh, and then what happens after that they're re-elected again um, so i think kind of to your point bronco is that when when politicians actually just say you know this is my position before but you know these things have changed we need to address these. Things. I'm not saying that we should raise GST and, and do what John Key did, but that's just an example of um, how they operate <laughs> compared to Labor. Um, but yeah, quite rightly, Jacinda Ardern could could say, look, obviously um, the policy like capital gains tax has changed in popularity. We've had 30% house price growth in the last you know 12 months, completely unprecedented. You know, we have to we have to do something. Um, and I mean, the media are constantly like, um, you know. And, and other kind of um, lobby groups are constantly attacking her for the policies that they do bring in on um, property anyway. So, you know, it's not really, it's not really going to change anything. Uh, yeah. And
0: account. she's not gathering up national votes. If anything, it's been the opposite, despite Robertson and Ardern um, kind of giving, giving space um, to very neoliberal anti-tax arguments um, and kind of leaning into being a, a financial manager more than you know a government. Uh people are going back to national because they've had a a political leader, a, a leader of the party that's been consistent and not overtly toxic for the last six months. You know, and yes. that's all it has taken. That's all it has taken. It doesn't matter what Labour has done for business, it doesn't matter that they like have um you no. Know, uh, business leaders come and tell them what to do and they say, we're not going to do this, we're not going to do that, we're ruling out all this stuff that is uh, bad for the rich. Then um, You're not getting those votes, dude.
3: Exactly, yeah. It's kind of a revision to the to the norm, really. And it was interesting when I was looking at the, um, that recent News Hub poll, if you look at it, if you look at the previous News Hub poll from before COVID, the, the last one kind of before COVID really became a big pertinent issue in New Zealand, um, was back in kind of, well, at the start of 2020 basically, it's, it's pretty much exactly the same uh, in terms of where all the, all the parties sit, um, which I thought was quite an interesting anecdote uh, around kind of how things have kind of reverted in a way, and, and particularly in terms of like national and Labour's um, voting base. But one other thing I just, before I forget that I wanted to um, talk about Bronco in, in terms of your point around the substance of like this issue around the wealth tax, we're focusing on these rule out wars and not actually what the substance is. Um, The thing that kind of started all this um, and um, what uh, David Parker's response about the tax system was in in response to was um, a treasury paper, and I just want to read this this particular little stat. So in this treasury paper, they they did some analysis on high wealth individuals who are people who are worth more than $50 million. They reckon that 42% of these individuals pay less than 10% effective tax rate on their income, because obviously we don't tax the income from... From assets, uh, well in New Zealand at all, um, and someone on eighty thousand um, dollars pays almost twice that effective tax rate, or actually double that, about twenty one percent. So this is kind of the substance that doesn't filter through in these in these rules. This is huge; like yeah, it's a it's, huge,
0: like in- incredible huge stat, um, and it it speaks not only to the inequality uh, situation, which you know has been a, a major. Um, discussion point of left narratives for the last decades, but also just to the blatant systemic unfairness of it. Um, Like the system is clearly not working if this is the result. And if you put those two things like on on a balance sheet or whatever you wanna say, let's put this in business terms. Like if if you're a CEO and you, you say, you see that like those two numbers side by side, you try and fix that because you're not <laughs> your business is not running efficiently so even in like the most neoliberal capitalist of terms um you know outside of the you know the theoretical framework
2: that is not working as it should yeah and also i mean how many times is that statistic you know how many times has the public heard that um you know i, I doubt they're reading treasury reports like pause <laughs> <laughs> so, well i uh, mean to be
3: to be fair to the herald and i'm and i'm uh you know that it wasn't one of the articles
2: but like just in one piece of, sorry one one article versus you know exactly. what's it, the it predominant messaging
3: yeah exactly it doesn't get the cut through and, and like to um put a point on that on the dominant messaging even after just under ruled out in question time in parliament twice in one question time again ruled out for you know a second or third time this wealth tax um the the first article by thomas Coughlin in the herald afterwards had the headline property industry and in, in the wealth tax firing line so it's like this is wealth tax has just been created again you know <laughs> <laughs> and it's just bullshit <laughs> it's sure. it's just it's it's dishonest it's
0: it's bad faith um and it's it's purely done to create a, a political narrative it's not it's not journalism in any Another. Another thing
1: that it does is, this has really come out for me this week, just observing. Um, David Parker's gave this really calm, measured, thoughtful speech, thinking about the long term, right? He wasn't trying to propose policy. He was trying to make a, almost a political kind of statement that, um, and we always say this, like the government needs to think long term more. Um, he actually offered an example of a Labour politician, like this is a framework for doing this. Um, and you can see this response, it just it disincentivizes that kind of thinking and that kind of, you know, instead of setting up like a, um, a group to go off and do a study and then kind of report back, which they're always getting criticized on. They could just make these position statements and these position papers, but there's, you can see the result of doing that. There's absolutely no incentive for them to think long term. So, I, I mean, maybe there's, there's something there as well. There's just this feedback loop really doesn't want politicians actually having a vision.
0: Yeah, people say our, our media isn't as bad as like the Murdoch press in the UK, but really it's mostly that our politicians are just far more cowed. They're just less likely to take any positions or enact any policy that will really like get the media up in arms. And you see whenever there's even a, a hint of it, this kind of thing happens. And credit to Chloe Schwabick for... Just like fighting the corner of a wealth tax this entire week in the face of the most just horrible, like atrocious reporting, um, like the, the shows getting on like ex act uh, act press secretaries as political commentators to to rubbish the idea that a wealth tax is in any way necessary, uh, and and you know the, the general public does not because they're not they're not going to like front foot to hey this this person is actually in the act party you know those uh like horrible like pseudo-libertarian neolib um water holders for, for capital um no they're just like oh I'm this political commentator ha, ha ha just a normal person assessing this and like with no bias at all
3: uh yeah, and I really, I really has, heard... it's
0: so frustrating
3: just on the, just on the point about um uh the the greens kind of continuing to fight in the corner of the wealth tax I, I kind of hope that they, um, with all the t- all, with all the policies that Labor have ruled out, that they make them like bottom lines for the next election campaign, just to see the media kind of like spontaneously combust, <laughs> to, like, how they can't, just, they can't wrap their heads around it, you know. Yeah, that'd be a good trick.
0: Um, and you know what? may that's what we need. Um, were there any final points that uh, anyone wanted to make uh, just in this space before we close up for the day?
3: Ranted enough. To be
0: honest. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's a lot. There's a lot more that we could talk about um, in regards to you know the the budget stuff that Robertson was was mentioning, um, but we're liable to go on for another hour if we if we really get deep into that. Uh, but yeah, th- thanks everyone for for joining us this this morning, this Saturday morning. If you've enjoyed this, uh, give it a retweet, share it with your friends and family, uh, do all the normal things, give us five stars. I saw someone had had not. Um, top review off so philip is no longer uh being congratulated um in the top review let's try and move that a few more down because it is still visible um and (laughs) he, yeah he he just gets so uh awkward about it um so get a few more reviews in there let it let us know what you think and jump on our Patreon uh, if, if you get a chance as well. It's really important to fund independent media uh, in this age. Big organizations are really dominating uh, the political sphere. And we have, we're have we in the middle of the local elections. And we have a, a massive election coming up in 2023. Uh, all the support and funding we can get uh, gives us the opportunity to create more content, um, do more regular updates, uh, and do a few more deep dives into what's happening in the policy space. So we'd really appreciate it if you can... Uh, jump along to one of 200nz and help us out thanks again for listening we'll catch you next time
3: Relentless routines the dying embers of your dreams is the lie aspirational will you die keeping your glass up? Dreams is a lie,
2: aspirational. Will you die keeping your glass half full,
3: You don't hate your nation, you hate nationalism. You don't hate your nation, you hate nationalism.